Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Yeah, we're here. Welcome to another one that's like no other one. This is Right Nowish, and I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. On this one, we've got Rocky Rivera, a true Frisco representative. She's had a journey so far. She's dropped amazing music. The truth is about to hurt you. I hate to disappoint you when you surely ain't my mama. I'm just trying to tell my story before they try to tell it for me. So excuse me for the language in my music allegory. She's also had a wild career in journalism where after winning an MTV reality show, she landed a gig at Rolling Stone. I've also seen her work firsthand when she was a teacher in high schools in Oakland. And now she's looking back at this wild and interesting life of hers in a new memoir titled Snakeskin. It's written as a series of essays, and in each one she weaves in elements of restorative justice, a system of accountability that's not based in the punitive model that we have now. It's more so a way of making the community whole by addressing the harm and finding ways to heal together. Rocky Rivera and I talk restorative justice and how it shows up in making music, teaching, and living in three, two, one. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randadid Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Can I get a working definition of restorative justice from you? And then we could talk about how it has applied to other aspects of your life. Yeah, restorative justice for me is basically sitting in circle with each other and asking each other, what is it that you need from me in order to feel safe and respected? 
It's not a product. It's a process. It's a way that we can be accountable to each other. It's not going to undo harm. The harm happens. It's not going to undo your history, the traumatic things that happened to you. But what it will do is it allows you to be vulnerable in community. Because restorative justice is not about throwing people away. It's not about marginalizing people further. It's not about telling somebody that your morals are more pure than them. We are all allowed to evolve without judgment from each other. And I think that's really what restorative justice is about. And part of restorative justice is identifying when you've been wronged. A few of your essays point out unnamed people who've caused harm. They're academics who use your labor for free, community members who made hollow promises, and festival organizers who shortchanged you on performance time. It sounded like you were getting some heat off your chest. Bring me into your thinking behind those essays. I feel like my story and my voice is all I really have. And when these people are in positions of power, which every single person that I called out was in a position of power, well, then I have the right to speak on how that power was either manipulated or abused or taken advantage of. In the academic system, there is this reliance on community artists to forever be available and to forever always, you know, do things for free and for exposure and come to your class and talk and talk about your work without any kind of pay. And that's the exploitation in itself, especially artists like me, women, Asian-American women who are just forever expected to accommodate. It was restorative for me to speak on that because I want to make sure that it doesn't happen to any young folks or any people that are like me. It's a cautionary tale. I appreciate the fact that these kind of shots at power holders are interspersed between essays where you're um, acknowledging the powers that you had and where you failed to kind of be responsible with your powers. Almost apology pieces about um, some of your lyrics, uh, Pop Killer, Brown Babies, or even clarifying uh, some of the lyrics that might have been misconstructed, misconstrued, if you will. How does restorative justice apply to words? Oh, my gosh. Well, words are everything. Words are my business. There's always a better word for something. But the reasons why we say things are really mired in how we were raised, right? Our circumstances. So in these 10 years, I've turned from somebody who was a product of my environment, a product of my circumstances, to somebody who understands that I can influence my circumstances now because I'm in a position of power. And I'm trying to get to that point where I, I write really accurately and I do no harm. But in the past couple of years, you know, I was careless and I had to address it because here's the thing about restorative justice. You can't expect somebody to be vulnerable to be open, to make mistakes, if you're not willing to do that as well. I'm not going to be 100% woke. That's not going to happen. I'm from the bank. I listen to Too Short. I listen to Keep the Sneak. I'm just not going to ever be 100% woke. The realness is that we are where we come from. And until we can accept everything that we are, then we can't ever accept each other's humanity. And I wanted to be the first to say I made a mistake. I made a mistake and I learned from it thanks to my community, not despite my community. And consciousness and politicization is a journey, really, because the revolution starts at home. And I wanted to make myself an example.
The second essay in your book is about being an educator in Oakland through working at the nonprofit Oakland Kids First, where we actually taught together. So that line in your book about remembering the smell of pizza in the classroom, it really brought me back, you know. Um, But in that essay, you also covered what restorative justice looks like in real time. You know, getting and giving respect to students, creating safe spaces, changing campus culture through campaigns, even the details of establishing the ground rules for RJ Circles. You know, speak from the heart, listen from the heart, only talk when holding the talking piece. Why did you choose to have that essay at the top of your book? A lot of my career has been based on controversial moments, moments where either I wrote something that I took back or I said something that made people feel uncomfortable. But if I had not learned about restorative justice, if I had not learned from those young people what it means to truly be a community, I probably would have quit the game a long time ago. They really humbled me when I organized kids in Oakland because they didn't care if I interviewed Snoop. They didn't care if I was on television. They weren't even in sixth grade when that shit came out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, they didn't care. Okay, I think I'm this big MC, this artist, this journalist who's done all these things. But when it comes down to the classroom, none of that matters. It does not matter. All that matters is a connection I make with my students and whether or not I'm able to organize and politicize them. We talked about some of the ways that you realized that you messed up in the past, you know, how you said things that you later regretted and learned from. But you also bring up respectability politics and how we're miseducated about it and the ways that it impacted your career as an MC and journalist. Coming out as an MC, I was stuck in a box of like not wanting to sexualize myself because women are automatically sexualized, especially Asian women, you know, and I wanted to come really hardcore. And I think snakeskin for me was like shedding those layers of expectation that came from things that only meant to hold me down and not liberate me. And a lot of things that we face as women of color, as BIPOC folks, is this respectability politics of like, if I don't act a certain way, then I don't deserve what I receive. And I got that when I went to Rolling Stone is that I had gold teeth, I was hyphy, I was crazy. And so they didn't believe that I deserved a chance at Rolling Stone. What's the story you want to tell? I think the story is this. Reggae has to birth hip hop to bring the spotlight back to reggae. I don't know about sending you down there. I think it's interesting. It doesn't necessarily feel vital. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like any of my other ones, like my MC thing? Well, you know, I said to Joe that I just don't see enough here. And I had to really bust my ass to prove that I deserved it, even though I didn't have to prove nothing to nobody. And then not to mention the kind of racist, sexist vitriol that was spewed at me for not deserving an opportunity like I did. I still won that reality show anyway. Me being this Bay Area, very Bay Area person who's like, you got to be here to understand me. So I can't explain myself to you. I'm not going to fit into a box. Did Snoop do this in response to like people saying that he didn't really have a lot of wordplay? Because it's, it's changed his style up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. I mean, it's definitely the record when everyone hears it is like, damn, he's really busting on mm-hmm, that one, you know? Mm-hmm. Where are you from? Just gangster rap. I'm from the Bay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, you know, I know a little about West Coast music. Hey, you got that. In your book, you wrote an essay that's a love letter to San Francisco and the ways that it shaped you. There's a line in there in which you say, I'm a ghost haunting the city I love. I felt that one. I consider myself a storyteller, 
But I also consider myself a cultural preservationist because the Bay Area in the 90s, it was like a golden age where people could actually live in this beautiful community and not have to pay the highest rent in the entire country. I grew up going to my dentist on 24th and Mission. I grew up in the Excelsior watching Lowriders. I grew up with black and brown kids from Hunter's Point to Lakeview going to school with me. And that really is the foundation of who I am. This diversity shit, this ain't a trend. I lived it. This is not a quota for white people. And I want to remind people that that is the heart and the beauty of San Francisco. When I talk about San Francisco, I talk about a legacy of organizing, a legacy of Asian and Black solidarity. People think it never existed. Well, I'm here to let you know that it did exist. And I remember it. And so do other people. The book is dedicated to your daughter, Izzy. She's born in May. This May is also marks one year since the passing of your mother. How are you preparing for May? You cannot prepare for losing a loved one. You cannot prepare for losing your creator, the person who brought you here. And I can't prepare myself for my mom's one year anniversary. But what I will be grateful for is that my daughter was born on Mother's Day weekend. Your joy and your sorrow are inseparable. Every lesson that my mother ever taught me, I'm teaching my daughter. And so the things that I mourn about my mother are the things that I find joy in with my daughter. And happiness is a choice because I can't change the fact that people are not in my life. I can't change the fact that the pandemic happened. But what I can do is be grateful for the moments that I did have. And in writing and in experiencing them again, it's my homage to my mother. It's my homage to my daughter who will one day grow up and read this book and know that I will accept her as holy and as fully as my mother did. And that's all I can really do to honor my mother. You're growing as a person, as an artist, a mother and a daughter, which on many levels relates to the title Snakeskin. But there's also a real snakeskin. Bring me into the story of your partner, Bamboo, finding this snakeskin. When I had my memorial for my mother, we didn't have a set place to remember her. She passed away overseas in the Philippines. And so it was really hard for me to find any place in the city that belonged to us. But there was a lone eucalyptus tree that I used to run past in Alameda. And so when I decided to have the memorial there towards the end, um, my partner found this fully intact snakeskin on the ground and he picked it up and he knew it was meant for me. And I didn't really understand what it meant at first. But um, when you look into ancient cultures and the ways snakes are represented in mythology, they are represented as basically transitory between heaven and hell because they crawl on the ground, you know, and they represent rebirth. They represent the afterlife. And so when I really dug deeply into this sign, this omen that I felt like my mother left me the day of her memorial, it really made me understand and accept her moving forward because she was also shedding her skin. Rocky Rivera, thank you. Thank you for being solid. A talented artist, a family-oriented community member, an educator who is committed to constantly learning. 
and someone who has been a comrade in the same fight to preserve culture. Yeah, thank you. All of you out there listening right now can follow Rocky Rivera on Twitter and Instagram at Rocky Rivera. That's R-O-C-K-Y-R-I-V-E-R-A. That's where you can also find a link to her Patreon account and more information on how to order her book, Snakeskin. Again, the book is a memoir about her coming of age experience, as well as a bit of uh, decoding the lyrics to her songs. And even if you don't have a bunch of time, it's one of those books that you can read bit by bit kind of like an album so that if you wanted to skip some tracks or like or if you wanted to read the whole thing from front to back that you could but also that i'm hella aware that i'm a mom i don't have a expansive time marisol medina cadena is the producer of this show jessica plachik is the editor our engineer is Sil muller kiana mogram jacqueline carver hall lena blanco and sarah pineda make up the engagement team kqed execs are erica aguilar david marcus and holly kernan I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Thanks for listening. As always, reminding you to subscribe, rate the podcast, tell a friend, and most importantly, have a good one. Peace. Right Now-ish is a KQED production. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.